I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 12, verses 41 through 50. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is God's word. Thank you, Susan. Good morning. My name is Brandon Lutz. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, this morning we are continuing our summer series on the Apostles' Creed. And we are, we are looking at the Apostles' Creed because it, it is a, a clear and it's a, a brief statement that, that Christians everywhere have been saying for over 1,700 years. Our, our church is, is unique in the sense that we have a lot of people, a lot of families from, from different religions and denominational backgrounds. Um, and so in the Apostles' Creed, we get to stand up and we get to declare together everything that we believe about God, everything that we believe about Jesus, everything that we believe about ourselves as sinners, the church. And, and to, be, to be a Christian is, is to believe everything that we say in the Apostles' Creed. Now, it, it doesn't mean that you have to fully understand everything that we just said. I don't understand everything that we say in the Apostles' Creed. But it does mean that you're trusting these words to ring true because they are the fundamentals of our faith. So this morning, uh, we are focusing on the phrase, and he, Jesus, shall come to judge the living and the dead. Specifically, we're talking about judgment, uh, judging, and, and judgment day. And so I think maybe that's why the pepper spray was, was sprayed earlier on accident. Uh, they saw the topic and they said, nope, I'm out. Um, 
But when I say the word judge or when I say uh, judgment day, um, what kind of emotions start to stir in you? How do you feel when even just, just hearing that phrase or that word judgment? Judging and, and judgment are not very popular topics in our culture today. Uh, there's a gym where I'm pretty sure, uh, Planet Fitness, I'm pretty sure their slogan is the judgment-free zone. And they say that because any and all are welcome into their gym, whether you have never exercised before, never exercised a day in your life, or you're a fitness fanatic. You can come if, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. We, we want you to come to our gym. We don't want to be like the other gyms. We don't judge you. And so judging and judgment, it's considered intolerant and a narrow-minded way of going through and doing life nowadays. But interestingly enough, judgment is one of the last things Jesus speaks about before he goes um, off with his disciples, before he, he is betrayed, arrested, and crucified. Judgment and the day of judgment is mentioned very often throughout the Bible. In fact, it's mentioned every 13 verses or so. In the Bible, yet judgment, the end of days, judgment day, it's, it's something we never speak about in our culture, in our world. And even as a church, it's something we don't speak about very often. Yet it is something that is so, it's so fundamental and, and primary to our faith that it's mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. In our culture, Everyone wants to believe in heaven. Everyone wants to believe in, in some kind of afterlife, some kind of better life after this one. Everyone wants to believe that something better is waiting for us after death. But nobody wants to believe in hell. Nobody wants to believe that there will be a judgment day, and nobody wants to believe that there will have to be judged for the life they have lived here on earth. God's word tells us over and over and over again that Jesus Christ is going to come back and finish what he started once and for all. Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is coming back, and on that day, all the sad things of this life and this world will come untrue. This should be such an, an anticipated day. We should want this day. We should be longing for this day as Christians. I hope we will see that uh, by the end of this sermon. So if you look at your outline, you can see the three points. Uh, so first, you'll see that judgment is needed. Counter to our culture, the scriptures tell us that judgment is needed. There must be judgment. Jesus has promised that there will be a day when evil and sin and Satan will be conquered once and for all. Therefore, this day must come, and this day is much needed by God's creation and God's people. In verse 48, Jesus speaks of the truth of judgment. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Judgment has to happen because Jesus has promised that he will return to finish what he started. And what he has started with his first coming was the removal of darkness. In verse 46, I have come into the world as the light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. You see, without judgment, we will remain in darkness and darkness will continue to surround us continue to even be a part of us. Judgment Day is the complete removal of darkness once and for all. There will be no night. There will be no dark. You know, and, and as we think about this, it's such an intimidating and it's such a, a dreadful topic to, to preach on, to think about, to ponder. Think about a judge in a courtroom. Not Barry Bennett because he is very nice and kind and 
But think about a judge in a courtroom with me for a moment. The judge sits up high on, the, on this wooden-like throne. Everyone has to stand up before he or she enters the room. You can't sit down until he has sat down or she has sat down. He has the power and the authority to execute judgment. In some places, to even determine whether someone's going to live or die. And if you've ever been in a courtroom during some kind of judicial hearing, um, then hopefully you can understand the, the intimidation, the intensity of that experience. Rachel and I had to go to a courtroom um, to finalize Eden's adoption uh, not too long ago, a few months ago. And even though I was 99.9% .9 sure that, that we were going to walk out of there and, and Eden was going to be our daughter in the eyes of the law, uh, there, were, there was still there was so much weight. There was so much intensity to that event. Our, our judge was was a very nice, kind lady, but there was a still, there was a fear in me. I was afraid of her because she could decide whether or not Eden gets to be our daughter as we walk out of that room. Judges are intimidating. Maybe that's why in our human sinful nature, we, we don't want to believe in the one true judge. We want to believe that the lie that there is no judgment. Let's, let's just go there for a minute. Let's pretend for a moment that there is no judgment. What then? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for this world? If there is no judgment, then there is no meaning to our existence. If there is no judgment, then there is no meaning to the existence of anything in creation. If there, <clears throat> excuse me, pepper spray, <clears throat> it's still here. <clears throat> if there is no judgment, then there is no right or wrong. There's no, there's no moral standard or moral code by which all humanity should follow. Everyone is at liberty to live and do life as they please because there's no right or wrong. Where have you seen hints of that in, all, in our culture today? Practically speaking, there, there has to be some kind of code or standard that we're all called to follow in the universe because there are very few people throughout all of history, throughout all humanity, who are okay with rape. There are very few people in all of history who are okay with people sexually assaulting children. There has to be a judge, and there has to be a judgment day, or things such as rape, pedophilia, sexual assault, not only would go unpunished, but they're also not wrong. Imagine a world where that was true. Is that what our culture really wants? Is that what we really want? Verse 48, along with other passages of Scripture, tell us there is a judge, and there will be a judgment day. There's a judge, and it's not me, and it's not you. There is a judgment day that nobody will be able to escape. There is a judgment that is coming, which transitions us to the second point. Judgment is coming. The scripture makes reference to it throughout. In, in the prophets, we see it often because God's people are constantly walking away from him, so he's constantly judging them and bringing judgment towards them. Isaiah 65, I'm going to give you a, a few different examples of how judgment is spoken throughout the Bible. Isaiah 65 says, The Lord will come in fire. His, and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by the fire of the Lord will enter into judgment and those slain by the Lord will be many. In Luke 12, in Luke 12 judgment day is described as a master coming back, coming home after a long uh, journey and cutting the unfaithful servants into pieces. In Revelation 19 Jesus coming back to judge describes him riding in on a white horse and his robe, his white robe is dripping with blood. 
and hell's army is following him. He is coming to judge and to finish the war, and all the armies of heaven will follow him. All those who are opposed to Jesus will be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. And you wonder why the church doesn't talk about this and preach about this often. I mean, this is some, this is some heavy and intimidating truth that we're dealing with this morning. It is, it is easy for, to see how the fire and the brimstone preachers, the wrath of God preachers, could easily ensnare and guilt people in to their message, or quite the opposite especially nowadays, nobody wants to hear that message. Nobody's going to give that person their ear. Judgment is coming, and on that day, the true righteous judge will judge the living and the dead. As Psalm 139 tells us, we will be judged by someone who knows us deeply, knows us even better than we know ourselves. Does that disturb you? How awful that God sees through me like that. God knows the things that I've done when nobody else is around. God knows the thoughts that I've had that nobody else knows about. What have we thought about or towards the women who are not our, are not our wives, men? Have you ever wondered what life would be like with that man who is not your husband? See, see, God knows the ways we are sinful and broken and messed up. God even knows these ways that, that we aren't even aware about, that we don't even know how messed up we are. On that day, we're not going to be judged on the basis of the things that we have done or not done. God is not going to weigh all the good things that we have done and put it next to all the bad things that we have done. Judgment is going to focus on our hearts, which means that we're in a lot more trouble than we think we are. In John 12, we see that there are people who believed in Jesus outwardly, but not in their hearts. There were also people who believed in Jesus, but were too afraid because they were too consumed by what other people would think. They didn't want to get kicked out of the temple. 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel is going from, from son to son of Jesse, trying to figure out who's going to be the next king of Israel, who's going to lead God's people in the future, and Samuel's going from the biggest, tallest, most handsome guy down the line God tells Samuel that man judges outward appearances, but God judges the heart. God is primarily concerned with our hearts, and our hearts is what will be judged when that day comes. So a question for us, how do we reconcile this truth with the many passages in the Bible that say we'll be judged by our works? Jesus reconciles uh, this, you can reconcile it through a few different passages of Scripture, but Jesus reconciles this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us that there will be many who have done good works and have been good people, even in the name of Jesus, even for Jesus' sake. And Jesus' reply to them is that he never knew them. Earlier in this chapter, he says that we will know, we will know if they are followers, we will know if they, they have faith, if they bear fruit. Now, if a, a tree produces fruit, then what does that say about the trunk and the root system of the tree? It's healthy. You see, the judge looks to our fruit, looks to the things that we do in order to see where our heart truly lies. Is your heart centered around you, or is your heart centered around God and his love for you? If your heart is self-centered, self-saving, self-righteous, self-consuming, instead of being humble and completely relying on God's grace and mercy, then this is going to be the difference. There's going to be a difference in how you live. There's going to be a difference in your attitude as you go through life as to why you do the things that you do. Why do you do the good things that you do? Is it for you or is it for God? 
In Luke 15, who is really the lost son at the end of the parable? Who is the son experiencing the joy of the father at the end of the parable? Whose heart is self-consumed and whose heart is in need of God's grace? Who is your heart more like, the elder son or the younger son? What motivates you to do the things that you do, to live the way that you live? And are you, are you, are you living for God out of joy, because of his smile upon you? Or are you doing it begrudgingly? So much of our skittishness about God's judgment is because we, we have seen the, the imperfections of human judgment. We're all too familiar with, with verdicts going wrong or, or just it seems like judgment is never met or sometimes not met in the courtroom. O.J. Simpson, he was recently released, or not released, um, he had his parole hearing, and I think, think he, I'm pretty sure he's set to be released in October, but, but many of us and most of America believe Simpsons be guilty of murder back in the 90s. We're not, we're not God, so we don't know this as a fact, but it seems like the judgment got it wrong back then. But this is never the case with God. He judges with perfect righteousness and equity. There is no unfairness with God, and nothing is hidden from his eyes. He knows all the bad things that we have eagerly chosen. He knows all the bad things that we have thought about. He sees it all, whether it's in our actions, whether it's in our thoughts or our attitudes. He sees it all. There's no escaping the righteous judge and his knowledge of us. The psalmist prays, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. Where shall I go where you cannot see, or where can I flee where you cannot find? So who can stand and be judged on that day? Who will be judged and find favor in God's sight? Who has been good enough? Who is without sin? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. This means there is no hope for us. Nobody can stand before God the judge because we all have sinful, wicked, evil hearts and God will not find favor on us. We know that when we stand before God as our judge, we will not be able to withstand his judgment. In verse 47, Jesus says that he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And the reason I went with this passage of scripture over the many other passages of scripture that would have been cooler or a better story, whatever it was, because this, this passage of scripture highlights the first time Jesus came to the earth and the second time he will come to the earth. When Jesus returns to earth, it will be to declare judgment. But when Jesus came to earth the first time, it was so that he could bear our judgment. If you are in Christ, then our judgment day happened over 2,000 years ago. Our judgment has already been met through Christ on the cross. Judgment is over for the children of God because Jesus has stood in our place for the divine justice of sin. The first time Jesus came to save the world, he came to save sinners. The first time Jesus left the judge's seat and sat on trial himself. He left his place on high and put himself below us. The first time Jesus asked the Father to look upon him and pardon us. If you believe in him, then your judgment day, your judgment is over. It's already been declared. It is finished. It is because God has judged Jesus that you can be saved. The very one who will one day come to bring judgment is the one who came to bear judgment. 
And this is why John can say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only way that we stand up under his judgment is to be united to Jesus by faith. Either you will pay for your own sin when judgment comes, or Jesus has already paid for your own sin and judgment is over. John 5.24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is good news for Christians. Judgment and, and judgment day have, this, have such a doom and gloom feel to it, but if you're a believer, this is not the case at all. Judgment is another reason for us to fall to our knees and to worship Jesus, the judge who came to be judged. The Heidelberg Catechism asked the question, <clears throat> What comfort is there that Christ shall come to judge? How is there comfort in judgment, in judgment day? And part of the answer is that the one who comes to judge is the very same person who previously came to be judged for my sake, and he has removed all the curse from me. If that doesn't give you reason to worship him, I don't know what will. The curse is gone. Be comforted and assured because Jesus has removed the curse once and for all from our hearts. And this should play out in our lives if this rings true in our hearts. Remember Matthew 7, by our fruit we will be recognized as God's children. By our lives and how we live will reflect what is true and what is going on in our hearts. Not because how we live earns or helps us in any kind of way, but because our hearts are overjoyed and they can only but live for God. Our hearts should be overflowing with grace and mercy because we have received an abundance of grace and mercy from the Father. J.I. Packer says, um, in regards to this topic on judgment, that a new cosmic order will start then too. There's a great day coming. Judgment day is going to usher in the eternal age of the new heaven and the new earth. As Chris read in our, in our assurance of pardon, he will wipe away every tear Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, no crying, no pain, no death. The former things will have passed away. What a day that is going to be for us as God's children. Do you long for this day? Are you awaiting this day? Do you long for the day when God is going to come and make all things new? Packer goes on to say that he thinks that, that we think less and less about the better things that Christ will bring us at his reappearance because our thoughts are, are increasingly absorbed by the good things we enjoy here. Maybe you haven't said this out loud. Maybe you have. Jesus, why don't you go ahead and wait until I have fill in the blank before you come back. Jesus, wait until I get before you come back. Wait until I accomplish this or that. Wait until I get to see my children or my grandchildren. Wait until I get married. Wait until the, the Miami Dolphins, the Orlando Magic, my fantasy football team win a championship in my lifetime. Uh, come on, be serious, Brandon. That's not going to happen. But, but seriously, what are the things, what are the things more than likely good things that absorb our mind and distract our hearts from the coming better day that is better than a thousands elsewhere? Christ will end this world in its ways, and the best part of the Christian hope lies beyond us. This gets played down way too much for us in our culture. As one author put it, our, our worldly mindedness runs deep in us the prosperous, as the prosperous Christians of the West. No one would wish persecution or destitution on another, but who can deny that at this point 
it may do us some good. We're far too easily blind to the truth that this is not our home. We have not arrived. We have not made it. Our heavenly comfort and divine joy are awaiting us after judgment and after judgment day. In Luke 14, Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. In the parable, Jesus describes a man who has thrown a great banquet and he has invited many to come join him for, the, for this great party that he's throwing, this great celebration and feast. But all of his friends, all the people that he has invited, they've made excuses as to why they can't come. And none of them are really bad excuses, but they're still excuses as to why they're not coming. So the master brings in the lame, the crippled, the poor, the blind, even the people who are wandering on the streets and the highways. So when Jesus returns, are you going to have an excuse as to why you're not ready to go home? Or is your heart aware that this world is nothing compared to what awaits God's children? Let us repent of the things that distract us and pull us away of the truth that our heavenly home is going to be infinitely greater and more satisfying than anything we could experience here on earth in this life. Uh, let me give us one more application on this before we close. We've all been judged before. We also judge people in so many different ways, whether it's your looks, age, skin color, resume, clothing, vehicles, houses, intelligence, wealth, ethic, or excuse me, your work ethic, your friend group, whatever it is, you name it, we can use it to judge people. We all know how it, how it feels to be judged by someone else, whether it's true or not. But, but this should not be so for those who are in Christ. Our judgment is over. Therefore, therefore, I don't have to hide away from my brokenness, my fallenness, and my sinfulness. I don't have to hide away the, the sinfulness that is my heart. That is why Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. He is aware of how sinful his heart is apart from Christ, and we can admit who we are. We don't have to get defensive. We don't have to hide. We can be realistic that we are sinners because the worst of sinners, because the, the punishment of sin has already been paid for us. Our judgment has already been set. I have already been judged and I have been declared righteous because the righteous one was judged. So there's no reason to hide. So the question for us is how do we live in, in such a diverse society where everyone has a different stance on judgment and there's just so much different opinions and different thoughts that are way more accessible now to everyone because of social media. How do we handle judgment? Liberals and some say you can't judge anyone. Conservatives and some would say, you, you can judge everyone. You judge everything. So where are we supposed to land? Am I allowed to, to get angry at injustice? Am I allowed to, to fight for what I believe is right and for what I believe aligns with God's will and God's justice? Yes, of course you can. You can oppose injustice and God's will, but not out of spite or retaliation because you know that we're just as messed up as the person on the opposite side of us. Pursue righteousness with humility. Be bold with grace. As the person of Jesus' study has taught a lot of us, seek the truth in love. That's how Jesus approached sinners like us, and that's how we should do relationships with sinners as well. Now, I want to share a, a deeper part of my heart with you, and before I give you an example of this in my heart and how I can judge people, um, I know this is a pretty sensitive subject uh, for most people, so I'm just trying to preface that. Um, I know that most of you know me and know my heart, and I hope you won't take it the wrong way. If you do, please come talk to me. 
Um, I'm a sinner. I've already been judged, so I'm good. Um, but whenever I know whenever I preface someone or something like that, it makes Rachel a little nervous. Um, it can make the people I'm speaking to a little nervous. But um, adoption, I mentioned Eden's adoption earlier. Adoption is something that is really easy for me to, to judge others on, especially Christians. I mean, God, God calls us to take care of the orphans, so why are there not more Christians adopting? And there's nothing wrong with me asking that question or even encouraging those to adopt, but usually my heart goes farther than that. And I start being very critical and judgmental to anyone who isn't considering or thinking about adoption. It's, it's easy for me to, to push aside that on the other side of adoption, for, for most people's journey is a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, a, a lot of brokenness for couples and families. And, and what makes it, I think, even easier for me to judge others, for whatever reason, God did, did not make infertility or pregnancy struggles a part of, of our journey. And so that makes it even easier for me to be judgmental towards others because I didn't even get to experience that pain and what that looks like, what that feels like. But because of, of the gospel, because of the grace and mercy I've received from my father, I can pursue and promote the beauty is, that is adoption without holding grudges and judging Christians who don't adopt. Do I wish Christians would adopt? Of course. Of course I want that. But that's not my decision. That's not my call. That's not something I can judge people on. That's not, I don't have the right to judge people on that. Now, I hope that makes sense. I hope it, and I hope it opens up your heart to discover the ways that you can be judgmental. Even about good things like adoption. Our, our prayer is that God would make our hearts more like him, full of truth and love. Jesus will return, and he will judge the living and the dead. Judgment is something that is needed for all of creation for us. We need this. We need judgment day. It isn't something we fear. It's something we rejoice in. It's something that we worship God and we hope and we long for. For by judgment, Jesus will remove the darkness once and for all, and he will, make, he will take me and his brothers and his sisters into the joy and glory of heaven and our future awaiting home. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us over and over again that Jesus will return to finish what he started. Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. Father, the creation groans and longs for this day. For it is a day that is much needed in the world and is so much needed in us as your image bearers, as your fallen image bearers. Too often we forget that this world isn't right. Your creation needs your judgment because only by that can the darkness be defeated once and for all. Father, we praise you that you sent Jesus the first time, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. We praise you that our judge was judged as our substitute, and now we can be your children. Father, continue to work in all of our hearts to not be distracted by the things of this life and to fill our hearts with truth and love. Father, may we long, may we be so... Um, enamored by that day that is coming that day is coming where we, be, we will be reunited with you there will be no darkness all that will be is your light and your glory in Jesus name we pray amen so receive these words as you go uh, I get to raise my hands over you to bless you if you're in Christ uh, you receive a blessing because when the Lord raised his hands over the Lord Jesus it was to judge him and so as he bore that judgment, uh, he took that for us 
now freeing us to get to raise our hands over one another even to bless one another. So as you go, receive this word and may it free you to go and be a blessing wherever you go. Receive these words from the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you to give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.